Hello. We are so glad that you could join us today. Our prayer is that as you listen to the word, you would take this time to draw nearer to God as an individual and as a family. God loves you so so much, and his desire is for you to get closer to him in this season through worship, through dwelling in his word and prayer. Well, this morning I am so looking forward to sharing a message and uh I can't claim this to be my own. Uh, of course, it goes back to nearly 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul was really primarily responsible for bringing this message. But uh, I can say this, it probably, this message I'll preach this morning has probably had more impact in my life than any other message that I've ever heard or preached. And uh, from, from time to time as a pastor, I come back and I preach this message and I want to do it again because I believe that many of you must listen very carefully because this message can become a watershed moment in a Christian's life. It can become the turning point from fear to faith, from uh, lack to prosperity, from defeat to victory. And I, I just want you to listen very carefully. I want you to participate, but I want you to listen with your spiritual ears right now. The title of this message is, Who Are We in Christ? Or we could call it the In Him message. One of the most important aspects of the gospel is understanding that our confession is what rules our life. Now, by confession, I don't mean the confession of our sins, but the profession of our faith or the declaration of what the Word of God says we are, and the confession of who we are in Christ. Now, the Bible has much to say about our positive confession of faith. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Romans 10, 8-10 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, this passage has nothing to do with confessing our sins, but it has to do with confessing Jesus. In his heart, man believes, and with his mouth he confesses that Jesus is his Lord. Proverbs 6 and verse 2 says kind of a, an opposite thing. It's kind of the opposite side of confession. It says, Thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. You see, what we say is our confession. And the words we speak are what rule our lives. We're either snared by our words or we're eating the fruit of our righteous confession. Jesus said it this way in Mark eleven twenty three, He says, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. This is an amazing principle of the Word of God. What Jesus reveals in this passage of Scripture is the fact that you really, if you really believe a thing, if you really believe it in your heart, 
Now, this is positive or negative, and you declare it with your mouth, it will come to pass. You see, the heart believes, and with the mouth, confession is made. Now, this doesn't only apply to being born again. It applies to any of the provisions in God's Word. These two phrases from God's Word are actually saying the same thing. With the mouth, confession is made unto. And that's Romans 10.10. 10. And then in Mark 11.23, it says, He shall have whatever he saith. Can you see the parallel there? Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That word profession in the, is in the King James Bible, but every other translation says confession. They, they're, they're interchangeable. And what God is saying is, or what Paul is teaching us is, hold fast to our confession. The confession that we are to hold fast to is our confession of our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And the confession of our faith in God as our Heavenly Father. And our confession of our faith in the Word of God itself. See, most Christians, and maybe some of you, though sincere, are weak. Because they have never really dared confess what the Word of God says about them. In fact, for many, it's hard for them to dare to confess what the Bible says. Or what the Bible says they have. Because of this, they live lives that are far below the life that God desires for them to live. The truth be told, many believers don't even know what God's Word says about what Jesus and the cross has provided for those who believe with their hearts and will confess with their mouths. Some people hold fast to a wrong confession about themselves. A wrong confession is one that speaks of defeat, of failure, of poverty. Uh, it speaks of the supremacy of Satan. Many people talk about what a hard time they're having with the devil or what battle they're having or all that they're going through or their circumstances or some kind of power or force that the devil is using to hold them back or make them sick or keep them from succeeding. You know, as long as we talk like that, according to what Jesus said, if it's what we really believe, then that's what we're going to have. In other words, if you really believe that those forces and those powers, if you really believe that your life is so bad, and you believe that in your heart, and you say it with your mouth, you're just reinforcing it. You're reinforcing your faith that, hey, listen, life's not fair. You're a victim. You're in trouble. You see, for a, for a believer to live by faith, we have to understand that our testimony, or testimony and confession, must be a central part of our lives. In fact, if you want to develop a robust faith, then you need to train yourself to continually tell of what God is doing for you, of what God's promises are in your life. You see, and the more you talk about Him and His working in your life, the more real He becomes to you. The less you talk about Him and His working in your life, the less real He becomes. Faith in many ways is like love. It stems from a heart, our hearts. You know, real love is birthed from your heart. It's birthed in the Spirit. Uh, like love, it finds its joy in the continual confession of the object of its attention. Just like a man's love for his wife or a wife's love for her husband. The more they confess their love for each other, 
the more it grows. You know, I think of my marriage with my beautiful wife, Bonnie, and, you know, uh, there have been times that we've been through some tough times. There have been times when things didn't look right in our marriage. But you know what? What I appreciate about my wife is she would always turn to and speak the Word of God into our situation. She's a godly, spiritual woman. She would always speak the best of me. She would always speak about what God is doing. And I, in turn, would do the same. And you know what? The more we've spoken the Word over each other, the Bible tells a man to wash his wife with the washing of the water of the Word. But we do that to each other. Why? Because our confession, our words, change things. Now, if you study the life of Jesus really carefully, you'll notice that from the beginning of His public ministry until He is led to the cross, He's always confessing who He is, what He is, and what His mission in life is. For example, John 16, verse 28 says, I came forth from the Father, and I am come into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father. This is a fourfold confession, covering His whole life, from the Incarnation to His ascension back into heaven. One of the boldest confessions that Jesus ever made is found in John 14, 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me? Philip? He, hath, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? <laughs> you don't understand how bold this confession is. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to see the Father, look at me. Look on me. I'm the, I, I'm the perfect representation of the Father. John 12, verses 45 and 46 says, And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. It doesn't get any clearer than that, folks. Jesus declared this about Himself. He says, I have come from the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, throughout His entire ministry, constantly confessed who He is, who He was, and His mission in life. Jesus is our example. He did this to teach you and I how to live victoriously in a fallen world. He lived so that we could follow in His steps. We should constantly be confessing who we are in Him. Not who we are physically or naturally or the accolades and the praises of our academic uh, prowess or our athletic ability or our financial successes. We should be confessing who we are according to the Word of God. This is the confession we should be holding fast to. God's promises, His Word, His declarations over our life. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 2 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Romans 8, 14, 16, and, 18, and, and 17 says, For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Folks, we are children of God. We are sons of God. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We should joyfully be confessing our relationship with God. We are born of God. He is our Father. We are His children. Can we dare to take our place as sons and daughters of God and confess who we really are? It's very important as believers that you study the Bible and find out what God's Word says about you and that you begin to confess 
not what you feel, not what the media is saying, not what your family is saying or circumstances indicate, but what the Word of God says you are, what the Word of God says you can do, what the Word of God says you can be. You know, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take time to read through the epistles in the New Testament, the letters written to you and I as believers. These letters were written to you and I as members of the church. Yeah, they were written by Paul to certain churches, but they were meant to be read by every believer. They became the canon of the scripture for you and I. As you read, I want you to go especially through the epistles and look for all of the expressions such as in Christ, in Him, in whom, through whom. And I, and I want you to take a marker, a highlighter, and I want you to highlight all of these expressions. You will find that most of these verses will tell you who you are or what you have or what you can do because you are in Christ. I, I even recommend that you write these scriptures down so that you can meditate on them and memorize them and begin to confess them. Begin to say them with your mouth. This is who I am and this is what I am and this is what I can do and this is what I have in Christ. You see, I said earlier, and I'm going to say it again, I believe this could be one of the most important messages I preach to you this year. Because faith's confessions create our realities. As far as God is concerned, everything you have or everything you are in Christ is already so. He's already done it. Everything the Bible says is ours is ours legally. Now you have to understand that the Bible is a legal document. It is Jesus' last will and testament sealed in His blood. But it is your believing it and confessing it that makes it a reality to you. God wants you and I to enjoy the reality of what He has provided for us. And His Word is what tells us how to do it. Let me give you a perfect example. God has provided the new birth for you and me. And His Word tells us how that provided salvation can become a reality, can become real to us. Understand that the price of your and my salvation was paid over 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once and for all into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, our salvation was paid by Jesus, and He never has to do that ever again. He has already done it. The provision has been made for anyone who would receive what He has paid for on the cross. Romans 10 tells us how we obtain the reality of salvation in our individual lives. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It is always with the heart that man or a woman believes, and it's always with his mouth or her, her mouth that he or she makes confession. You know, when we believe a thing in our heart and confess it with our mouths, it becomes real to us. Faith's confessions create realities. So I want to encourage you to take time and read the epistles in the New Testament 
as you look, as you do, I want you to look for in Christ, in Him, in whom, through whom, and, and so forth and so on. They're, they're, they're all kind of related. Now, if you've never done this before, some of these promises, some of these things won't even seem real to you. It may even be hard for you to believe that you have what the Scriptures say you have in Him. But if you change your confession, if you begin to confess with your mouth, then as you begin to believe it in your heart, you'll begin to come to a place where the promises and the provisions that you have in Him will become something where you can say, this is mine. This is who I am. This is what I have. And it will become a reality to you. Let me just explain that for a minute. You know, holding fast to our profession and our confession kind of is a continuum. Sometimes we confess a thing and we don't really believe it. But as we begin to confess it more and more, we begin to believe. And then there comes a moment where we have real... We, sometimes it takes a while to get over the belief in our minds. Our, our minds are so contrary. Uh, our minds have been so darkened. We have been so confused by the spirit of this age that it's very hard to get our minds renewed. So as you're confessing what God says, and you do that by faith, you may not really believe it in your heart. You may, you may be wrestling with it in your mind. But eventually there comes a time where you declare it and you believe it. And once you believe it, and it sinks down from here to here in your heart, then it becomes a spirituality because it begins to be something you practice. It begins to be something that you do in your life. You see, you have to understand, everything that Jesus purchased, everything He has said in His Word is already real in the spiritual realm. But we want it to become real in the physical realm, in our lives where we live. So, remember, as you find these scriptures, there's a few things I want you to do. Number one, underline each scripture. Highlight it. Two, write it down. Three, meditate on it. Four, begin to confess it. Then five, continue to say it with your mouth. Finally, memorize it. And keep saying it. Hold fast to that confession. Let me close today's message by just giving you a few of the in him realities. And we're going to start at the beginning. Again, look at Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. It says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, this is how you would confess this scripture if you were going to personalize it. I believe in my heart Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He was raised from the dead for my justification. I confess Him as my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Lord. He is dominating my life. He is guiding me. He is leading me. Can you see the power of that? You're personalizing. You're declaring it. It's my confession. This is not a scripture that I'm reading about. This isn't me to try to, oh, get more knowledge. It's about what does it mean to me? Now, of course, the first confession we must make is our confession of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You see, because being born again, uh, becoming a child of God is the key that unlocks all of the provisions that God has for us and all the promises that God has made to us. It is this confession that changes who has lordship over our lives. It is this confession that defines our position our position in Christ. The confession of Lordship of Jesus immediately puts us under the care, under the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd. 
See, after we have confessed him as our Lord and our Savior, we can go a step further. We can begin to confess him as our shepherd. Now the 23rd Psalm belongs to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you feel the power of that confession over your life? I have a good shepherd. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. Here's another scripture. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. Here's how I would confess that. In him I live. In him I move. In him I have my being. Can, can you see the power of such a confession? And the effect it can have on how you view your life? In Christ, my Savior and Lord, I have life. I have energy. I have strength. Even for that which seems impossible. Another scripture, John 15, verses 5 and verse 7. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it should be done for you. Here's how I'd confess that. I abide in him. I live in him. He's the vine. I'm the branch. The vine is in the branch. The branch is in the vine. His life, the life of God is in me. His nature, the love nature is in me. Just as blood flows through my natural body or sap flows through a vine, his life flows through my inner man. I will let that life that love life dominate in my life. Can you feel the power of that? See, when you start making it yours, you start saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I am. It becomes powerful. See, when we're born again and we come to Christ, we come into Christ. In fact, the only way we can get in Him, in Him, is to be born again. But Jesus said something amazing. He says, if my words abide in you, and that word abide means to live, if my words live in you, if his words live in us, and his words do live in us to the extent that we practice them or that we do them, we can ask what we will, and it will be given to us our Father, the Father in heaven. We have something to say if his words abide, if they're really in our heart, we believe them. Now, there are many Christians who are born again. And uh, yeah, they're in Him, but the Word of God, His Word is not abiding in them. And this is why their prayers are hindered or they don't work. Uh, the Word abides in the measure that we practice the Word. What's amazing is that someone may be able to memorize and even be able to quote or preach the Word without it being living on the inside of them. It's not really living. The Word lives in me only to the measure that I practice it. We must allow the Word of God to have free course in our lives. We must allow it to teach us, to govern us, to 
dominate our lives. We must allow the message of the Word of God to take first place in our lives. In fact, we should treat the Word of God with the same respect as if Jesus were with us right now, here in the flesh. Here's another scripture. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, when we become a Christian, we are not made better. We're not renovated. We're not made over. The Bible says that we become a new creature. It's not a makeover. We are a new creation, something that never existed before. At new birth, we do not get a new physical body, although we will receive a new physical body at the time of the resurrection of the dead. What does happen is the man on the inside, the spirit man, becomes a new creation. Now, when this happens, we take on the very nature of God himself. Can you see why it's important to hold on to your confession, the confession that you're a new creature? As we do, we will see the new man on the inside of us begin to manifest on the outside of us through our flesh. It's just like in a marriage. You know, I've watched men beautify their wives just by washing them with the Word and speaking such kind things to them that they begin to blossom. I've also seen the spirit of a woman be crushed and silenced to where once her spirit is broken, which is like the fingers, her soul and her body begin to be closed up. She can no longer feel. She can no longer have emotions. She can no longer touch that man. They can, the sex goes off. Everything goes off. But when we speak the word, it's the same with us. As we begin to speak the word, as we begin to speak to our spirit man, our bodies change, our souls change, our, our wills and our emotions begin to change. You see, we yield ourselves to the new man. We put off the old man. We put on the new who is in Christ Jesus. Amazingly, when God looks at you, and when he looks at me, do you know what he sees? He doesn't see you and me like we, like we see ourselves in the mirror. He sees that new man in Christ. And he counts Christ as being your righteousness. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. Can you see that we look a lot better in Christ than we do out of Christ? We often don't see each other in Christ. In fact, most of the time we look at each other from a very natural point of view. But once we're born again, God looks at us from a vantage point of being in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. So here's how I confess that. I am His workmanship. He made me. A new creation. Now, we didn't make ourselves new. We're not, we can't make ourselves new creatures. He did that. So, it's nothing I can boast about. We are His workmanship. Now, I think it's very important to be careful how we speak about His workmanship. Be careful to say the same things about His workmanship that He says about His workmanship in His Word. Be careful not to slur or to mock God by saying something contrary to what He declares about you. Things like, I'm unworthy, or I'm weak, I'm poor, I'll never amount to anything. He didn't make you that kind of a new creation. He made you a worthy new creature. He made you a new creature who could stand in His presence as though you had never committed a sin. He made you a righteous new creature. 
So start telling yourself who you are, who you actually are, according to his word and not who you think you are or somebody's opinion or your opinion about yourself or, or, or your history. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Confess it. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. My standing with God is secure. My prayers avail much. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Can I tell you something? If Jesus made you righteous, guess what? Your prayers begin to change because as a righteous man, your righteous prayers begin to avail much. We begin to fearlessly declare that God has made us righteous. No, we didn't do it. I can't make myself righteous. God did it. Not because I deserve it, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. That word righteousness means to be in right standing with God. Jesus, who is really the only righteous one, became our righteousness. Therefore, we can stand in the presence of God as though we had never done wrong. We can boldly access the throne room of God with, a sense of, with no sense of condemnation or with no sense of spiritual inferiority. Why? Because of what Jesus did for you and I. We realize that our access is because we are in Him. In Him. Let me just give you a few more scriptures. Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So confess it. Say, because I'm in Christ Jesus right now, present tense, there is not a sense of condemnation about me. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Confess it. Say, Christ Jesus, my Lord, is my wisdom. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. He is my redemption. Are your, is your faith being built up? I hope it is. Romans 5, 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. So here's how I would confess that. I said, I have received. Say it with me. I have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I reign as a king in my domain, in this life, through Christ Jesus. The Amplified says it very succinctly. Reigning as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Are, are, are you getting the idea? Are you beginning to see that there's a principle here? The in him, by him, through him principle? Can I just read a few more scriptures? I'm building myself up. I don't know about you. I'm getting excited. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You see, we aren't trying to get it. We have it. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have been delivered from the power of darkness, from the power of Satan. By virtue of the new birth, we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. 
Satan's dominion has ended in our lives. And Jesus' dominion has started in our lives. This happened the moment you and I accepted him as Lord and were born again. Look at Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Well, if you want to read about it, read the first five books of the Bible, especially the last half of Deuteronomy chapter 28. The curse of the law was threefold, namely poverty, sickness, and the second death. But God's promises, and he, he gives this promise to you and I, that the blessings of Abraham are ours. Galatians 3.14, he says that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promises of the Spirit through faith. Can, can you see that it's through faith, by believing and by declaring that we receive the promises of the Spirit? And if you want to read the first half of Deuteronomy 28, you'll see what blessings God intended for you. Now, Satan's dominion over us as new creatures in Christ, Jesus, ended when we accepted Christ. Understand, Jesus is our Lord, not Satan. We're not, we're not, we're not divided. Now, we, we, can, we can sometimes get tricked. We can sometimes sin. We can sometimes fail. But let me tell you something. Jesus is our Lord. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Matthew 8, 17 says, Himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. So I would just say it this way. Begin to declare this. By his stripes I am healed. God's word tells me I was healed more than 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid for this on the cross of Calvary by his stripes. If I was healed, then I am healed. Healing belongs to me. Healing belongs to me because I am in Christ. A couple more scriptures and I'll close. Romans 8.2 For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And you just confess that. The law of of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I am free from the law of sin and death because I am walking in the liberty. I'm walking in the law of Christ. I'm in Him. I'm in Christ. Can you understand how powerful this principle is? My hope today is that you'll do what I've asked you to do, that you will take time and get your marker out and go through every verse in the epistles. Start with the book of Acts. Go all the way through, even to the book of Revelation. There is something dynamic and powerful about this teaching. Begin to memorize it. Make it a study. Study to show yourselves approved. Begin to declare and confess who you are in Christ. You know, sometimes we need help to do this. Sometimes we need encouragement. Right now on the screen, there's some people that would love to talk to you and help you. Help you get a Bible. Help you possibly find a cell group, a place where you can meet with other believers, other Christians. And Sometimes we just need the encouragement of a brother or a sister to stand with us and to go through this together. We have our Be That Man program for the men, and we have our Roots program for our women. I want to encourage you. Find out about those. We're doing them online. We're doing them all kinds of ways. Maybe you've lost a loved one, and you should go online and get a hold of Grief Share. Or maybe you've been through a divorce, and you need somebody to help you walk through that. 
But let me tell you something, you don't have to get stuck anywhere along the way. There is help, and it's in Christ Jesus. Pick up that phone right now. Call someone. Call them right now. Ask them to help you. Say, listen, this is my need, this is my situation. That person on the phone may not be able to help you, but I promise you they can get you to a pastor. They can get you to a professional counselor. They can get you into a course. They can get you into a cell group where you can find help. We love you. As a church, we desire you to become all you can be in Christ, in Christ. So let's study who we are in Christ, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that you were blessed and that God will continue to transform your life in this season. If you have a testimony or need prayer and counseling, please send a WhatsApp or a call me to plus 263-784-303900 or plus 263-717-459999. We want to hear from you. And we are here for you and are ready to listen to you, to pray for you, and to celebrate with you. So thank you. We love you and stay safe.